We start the, um, the verse in, in verse 1. Very famous passage, if you're uh, familiar at all, this whole aspect of vine and the branches. You probably hear this a lot. Uh, even pithy sayings, people talk about the vine and the branches, even if they're not Christians. Uh, it's just a very, very popular passage. But um, apart from the popularity, I want us to understand that this is still historical. This really happened. Uh, this is what Jesus was saying. And so I want to make sure that we don't get too familiar with, um, uh, with the text. Yeah, if, there, if anyone needs Bibles, please, Leon has them right now. That'd be great. I'll give you a little chance to turn there. John chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, uh, it's going to be on your screen, on the screen here, so you can follow that. He starts off with, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Uh, starts off with uh, the last of the I am statements. That would be a really cool study that anyone can do on their own time, is to look through the scriptures of John specifically and to see the I am passages, where Jesus talks about who he is, um, and, and they're very famous, the I am statements is what they're called. Uh, to understand his deity uh, and who he is. This is, um, this is the last of the I am statements, and he says, I am the true vine. The reason why the I am piece is even important is because the I am always reminds the Jews of their time in Exodus, uh, when, when God the Father says, I am who I am. Uh, and so, in essence, Jesus saying, using these I am statements, is continually poking at the heart of the Jews to say, when God said that, and I'm saying that, guess what that means? I'm God. Again, another focus to, to sort of beeline people to the reality that Jesus is truly God, right? So he starts, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Now, um, by any chance, do we have the Isaiah passages? Cool beans. Um, so Isaiah 5, uh, just to give us some background here, you know, when we talk about vines and, and fruit, well, what, what, was, what was Jesus design? What was the Lord designed from Israel? Those are some good questions you need to ask yourself when you look at passages like this. And you say, what, what was the whole vine component? Well, uh, there's a clear picture here. Let me go ahead and read it to you. He says in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. Okay? He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Okay? So right now this is a picture of Israel. This is a picture of God and Israel. And, and sort of he has this, this, he's a gardener to vine dresser that we're even going to see in this passage. And here's the desired plan. Desired plan was for fruit, but what did he get? <clears throat> it says uh, he looked for good grapes, for good fruit. But it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. See that? What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? That's a rhetorical question. Nothing. Say, so what more can I do? When I look for good grapes, why, it, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. Right? Because you all, every time all I get is bad fruit, here's what I'm going to do. I will take away its hedges, right? this whole aspect of protection, okay? and it will be destroyed. I will break down its walls, protection, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither prune nor cultivate it. Oh, that's deep. So neither prune nor cultivate it. And, and I'm not, I don't know if we're gardeners here. I know I'm not. I think some of, some of you guys are. 
Think about the, 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 what he's saying there. I'm just going to store that in your heart. We'll explain it later in the text there. But he says, um, neither prune nor cultivate it, and briars and thorns will grow there. So if there's no protection, wow, then I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. So maybe this be the day, like if you ever thought about the vineyard and didn't really get it, it's a clear picture right here, right? Here's what God desired, and here's what he got. And so now we jump back to John 15. Does that make more sense why Jesus then says, I am the true vine? Does that make more sense now? Why? Because he's saying, okay, that all happened. That's true. But guess what, guess what God did? Redemption. Restoration. And so Jesus comes and he becomes the true vine. That vine didn't quite make it. So what Jesus says, I'll make it for you. So I'll be the true vine. Since that one couldn't quite cut it, I'll be uh, this true vine, the one that does all the things that God desired. I love it. I love that he's a true vine. He does all the things that God desired. So not necessarily saying that's how I enter into a relationship with him. What's interesting about that, when you see the true vine family, we have to to encourage ourselves and say, man, so if he's a true vine, that means all of the vines are fake. Right? So now the question we have to ask ourselves as we just walk with the Lord as believers, we have to ask ourselves, what vines are we holding on to? Are there any fake vines in our life? Are there, are there, is there anything that we are trying to get sustenance from, right, that we're trying to get our identity from, that we're, that we're, trying to, that we're lavishing hold on? This is some, some normal implication questions as you look at the text. Well, he says, I am the true vine. That means that he, you know, he's a, there's no other place for life than Jesus. You, know, you picture that. So if he's a vine... And the grapes is what, like, that's the fruit of what he wants. And you're going to see this in a moment. As he tells us we abide in him, he's saying that basically you can't get sustenance or life without Jesus. Continues on and he says, uh, and my father is the gardener, which we've already seen here, right? And I love, he, uh, he tells us in verse 2, he says, the gardener does a couple things. He cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So we've seen here the fruit described. What's the fruit, guys? In Isaiah, 5, in Isaiah 5, remember the fruit? Toward the end there, obedience, righteousness, justice, right, family? Remember he says that? So he says, okay, I am, he says, I'm the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit. So the goal of Jesus, it seemed that the Father said, look, I want fruit. All right, I want fruit. So that means if, if you're not bearing fruit, he says, he cuts you off. Right, I cut off everything that bears fruit. So that's pretty hard for people to, uh, for us to deal with. What is he saying there? He just gets rid of them? Because when people see, see that, he says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears fruit. We go, well, but he says the branch is in him. So how can he cut it off? See, again, this is, we, we've seen this over and over again. And notice something, guys, as we read the scriptures, notice the themes. 
the continual themes. This is the same theme again where we see ver- like vernacular that's trying to make a point of a, of a, he's trying to give a parable point based on a vineyard, but you can't go word for word with this vernacular because we see he's talking about this sense of a person professing or saying, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm part of your crew, but yet produces no fruit. So this is not a person who's like, oh, they're, they're God's people, and then he just cuts them off. This is not about losing salvation. Again, the Bible does not teach that, that you lose your salvation. This is talking about people who are kind of faking. And that eventually God says, after two or three years, if you keep saying you're an orange and all that keeps popping out are apples, we have a serious problem. That's just, so so it's, not, it's not hard to understand it's just hard, that reality of why, why God desires fruit. He desires for himself to be glorified. And, these are, and we've seen the same theme. When we had a discussion a while ago. We were looking at some verses, with, and, we were talking, and Nate gave a good example of, of like how Jesus was saying that, the, that he was talking about the Pharisees, and then he said these other people were believers. And we are like, what do we do with that? And it was because basically those people weren't believers. We've seen this theme over and over again. Make sure as you're looking at the scriptures, you notice the themes. Lord, sorry, sis. Yeah, I'm, you know what? That's a really good question. The question is, if you do not bear fruit, are you a Christian? Really healthy, scary question. I will just answer it now, and then hopefully the text will prove it as we go on. If you, are not, if you do not bear fruit, if you are a fruitless Christian, you are not a Christian. He says, he cuts off every branch of me that does not bear fruit, and that's, and that's well, right there. I think we can end there, but we'll continue on. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So these are joyous passages. These are joyous because I know we hear this stuff and go, oh, my goodness. But we, the beauty of the gospel is that the goal isn't about fruit bearing. The goal is about belief and trust in Jesus. And then what Jesus does in you is he bears fruit. So, so it's not, don't think, oh, my goodness, i got to really get my ducks in a row now. That, that's, that's a very wrong motivation. Very wrong motivations, always about Christ. Um, so he says, but look what he says here, and I love how he says, he says, while every branch it prunes it uh, to even be more fruitful. Now, how do you, uh, when we talk about pruning, he protects the vine by pruning, right? So when you prune something, and I, I'm just learning this and trying to, trying to figure this out, and this is where I've, I'm so inept. I should just have half of y'all get up and, and do this part. I believe, uh, when, I, when I do my research, like when you prune, there's a couple of things that you're doing. You're protecting um, and I wrote down, wrote down a few of these things. You're, you're protecting uh, whatever you're pruning, so you, you, and you do that by getting, getting a small hook. I guess in the first century they would get a small hook, and they will get rid of diseased little vines. So you get rid of things that can kind of bring it down. You get rid of broken vines, right? Um, you, and you use the same hook to actually treat the wounds of the vines that are doing okay. Okay? And, uh, so, and you do this by different methods. When I thought about that, I thought, whoa, is that not our lives? Is that not what God is doing in our lives? Right? Is that, is that not what he's doing? I mean, you think about it. I mean, half of us, I mean, he's, he's taking, he's trying to take these diseased vines out of your life, and you keep holding on to them. And then you wonder why there's so much drama in your life. Right? Because he says he's, he's committed to pruning his people, 
to making sure that, what, that the goal is not for them just to have a better life, even though I propose to you that the Lord, the joy that you get in Jesus, and he'll talk about that in a moment, uh, is awesome when, you're, when we're obedient to Christ. But that the goal, he's saying, no, I want to prune you so that you'll be fruitful. See, that, see that's a very God-centered reason which can kind of rub us the wrong way if we're not careful. That man, so the reason why he's even pruning me, according to the passage, is so that he can have fruit. Right? Nick? I Many different, I mean, definitely it can be hard, hardships, it could be, you know, persecution, it could be uh, discipline for disobedience. Um, it can just be guidance. I mean, you know, sometimes we make unwise choices uh, or God sees something that you don't even see yet and you're not even sinning. You're just ignorant. Right? He wants to remove something out of your life and you don't know why. And you realize two years from now it was a disease root. You know, it was a disease vine. But, I, but, but it seems an implication. So it can be all those things and more. Like, I don't, I don't know the specific list. But what we see there is that God is, is, com- is, is committed to making us um, maximize fruit bearers. And so I want to propose that when we fight against that, when, you, when we fight against God, as we're saying that we're his people, and he wants us to be maximized fruit bearers, then we go, well, wait a minute, why is my life so crazy? And I'm just proposing that all of us is because God is saying, keep meditating on my reality. I am trying to make you be freed up to fully obey me and enjoy it. And you keep fighting against it. There's a rub. So we can keep fighting about it, keep fighting it, and, and sort of, and we'll talk about that in a moment, and have like the, best, the worst of both worlds, or learn to enjoy Jesus and enjoy your destiny to bear fruit for him. And it's a joy. It's not a burden because it's what true life is all about. According to him, he's the true vine. So, um, let me continue on real quick. Jay? Jay, you want to to say something to that? See, yeah, and that that's that's kind of powerful. You see, you see what what what, uh, what Jay's response was was you can have people doing works, but it seems that if the if we're doing the works of God, which which streamlined from Him obedience first, right? Obedience, righteousness. So so almost God's character, uh, His stuff. And then that shows itself in justice, and then you go down to the, the graces of the Spirit. Uh, you wonder, if that's the reality, then it's not even a works-based issue. You're obeying God, and hopefully the Lord, you'll have joy in that. I, you know, this is hard, guys. This is, this is the one that always makes people get crazy. But we have to be clear about it, that, that it's okay to squirm in your seat a little bit. 
uh, if you know you're not living right. Um, I don't know what else to say to you. I mean, I'm just saying that, that you do not get saved and come to Christ based on works. Uh, Galatians makes it really clear. If you think that work saved you or will save you, then Jesus Christ died in vain, and we're all stupid right now for being here. Okay, you might as well eat, do whatever you think helps you be righteous. Eat more broccoli or whatever you think you need to do, you know. But, but the Lord is saying, no, by God's grace, he grabs us, he, he woos us. I mean, the, even the growth, I mean, the, the, what I've seen in Casey in the last year, it's a God thing, right? And so now... She, she, and so God's doing something in her, and then what flows out is a, is a desire to want to be ask, asking questions in that group, is a desire to want to walk with the Lord, is a desire. And that's, so it's, it's, it's trust in Jesus, focus on Christ and the cross, and then out of that, there's a reservoir of Holy Spiritness. John 7 37, there's that, that flow of water. Remember, he talks about that the overflowing water of the Holy Spirit flows out of an obedient believer. That's just the result. So God is just being really practical and clear. It's not even hard. He's saying, look, if you really love me, you obey me. Right? So we're not saying works based here. We're just being honest that if you're saying you love Jesus and you're not obeying God, you're lying to yourself. That's all. But, but, but it scares me because that's the thing that makes us all in our body as we go out and, and serve the Lord in our community is that we're in one of the most apathetic communities I've ever been in in my whole entire life. can't believe all the churches and all the people who go to church and say the church stuff and they totally don't give a... It's, it's just so frustrating. And, and I just want us all to just have to deal with the, the reality that, no, Jesus is saying, man... You give your life to God. Your life. That's what faith is. So that's an that's a up, uphill battle for us because we're in a place right now when we say this stuff, this is unorthodoxy in our community, but we're praying by God's grace it will become orthodoxy. It will become, the Bible will actually be the proclaimed truth and it won't just be a bunch of jargon. Um, where am I at? Uh, so great questions, guys. Keep them coming. So he says, he says, remain. So, so pruning and, and this whole piece of, being, of, of, of cutting is what the Lord does. And I just want us in our home, in our minds, to be excited and, be, and meditate on that reality. Say, Lord, what are you trying to prune in my life? What is holding me from abiding in you? Right? The command he can, he's given us in verse 4 is to abide. What's holding us back? And that's the thing that blows me away, all of us. We need to just be able to say, Lord, would you teach me how to be willing? And this is hard. This is the hard part. Every one of us, we come to Christ, you know what he does? Jesus is crazy. He says, look, all right, now you can fake it out. You can fake out everybody else, but I know what your idol is. And then in the quietness of your home, he says, will you give it up for me? Every one of us. And the thing is, some of ours are way more external. See, some of y'all got men that you know you ain't supposed to be with. Some of us got all these external things. And God is saying, what are you going to do? Am I, worth, am I worth that? Will we make, like, what kind of, dra- what's the most drastic change will you make for Jesus? 
What would you give up right now? And that's, that's the gospel. Jesus is saying, I'm the king. I want, I'm wooing you. You are my son. I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. But see, the way this works is I'm the king. So you can't have someone else on the throne. This is hard, but I'm asking you to give it up. I know you've been with her for 10 years. But you love me now. And if they don't want to get right, and you're not married, drop her. Are we making nose changes for Jesus? If we don't, there'll always be a rub. And I'm telling you, I don't know if you really, I wonder if you'll experience joy. I don't know. Maybe. Let's see what the Bible says. He says, and you are already clean because the word, as we're in verse 3, family, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So he encouraged these guys. See, you know, they was probably kind of freaking out too, right? So we're like, wait a minute, now, what do I got to do? And he's like, no, you straight. Right, right? That's how he played them. You go. You all right? You know why? Because not just because I said something to you, that whole point there is that you're obeying. You, you're, you're down. Which, which they probably needed because, remember, next day they're going to they leave and they're going to need some encouragement. So, I, yeah, I, I think the, the gospel story is a beautiful picture of how Jesus knew how frail they were and how we are and how he prepares us. Um, unbelievable. So he says, um, look what he says here. So because of verses 1 through 3 family, he then, that's sort of setting the stage for verse 4, the command. Here's imperative. So there, remain in me. If this is the reality, if he's a true vine, if, he is about, if, if he's about, hey, I want to have fruit, that's what it brings me glory. This is what I'm about. This is how I do it. If people are faking, I have to get rid of them because it's about my agenda, because I'm the king of the universe. And if you are my son and daughter and you're still holding on to stuff, I'm going to deal with you until you figure it out that true joy is in me alone. This is what we're going to do. If that's the reality, then how does that work? That's hard. If I say, okay, now I hope you figured it out. But he says, no, here's what you do. Abide in me. Here's a command. This is how this works. Abide in me. Remain in me. That's other, maybe some of your translations say, remain in me. So their responsibility in verse 4 is to remain in God. That's all you're called to do. Not works. I propose... I, mean, I don't even know how to make people, you know, like, like we, okay, don't do nothing. And just, just learn about Jesus and, and connect with the Lord for a little bit. And, and, and see what the Lord does. And see how, if you're really starting to just put yourself in a, a Jesus-centered environment, like dive into this body, all these crazy God-centered people in this body, y'all crazy, and I love y'all. You dive into this body with these crazy people. And you say, Lord, I just want to experience your goodness. I want to hang with people who love you. I want to be here with people who praise you. I want to read your word and just be in your presence. I guarantee you, you won't be able to help but begin to serve and care for people and see God change your mind and see God do something radically in your life. Guaranteed. If your heart is right and you, you, and you taste Jesus, 
He says, remain in me. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. That's a promise. But see, I love what he says here. No branch can bear fruit by itself. You see that? He says, remain in me. No, you can't, you can't do this by yourself. You have, this only happens when you and me are connected to the true vine. Right? And he says, it, 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 you don't bear fruit by yourself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So he just, again, he keeps it so plain, just like we you know with the vines, you know, in the vineyards, it's the same with me. You cannot do life and experience what all of our heart's desires are if you're not in Jesus. You will be a fruitless Christian if you're not in Christ. Continues on, and please, if there's a question, let me know. Uh, he says, I am the vine, again, you are the branches. If, uh, if a man remains in me and I am him, now look what he does. He flips the script. So he says, I'm the true vine, and, and I love how he, he has us replace, not us as I, in Americans or anything like that, but he has true Israel replace ethnic Israel in this passage, which is another ploy to say, hey, I, by the way, guys, I'm telling you all that, that God was ne- never concerned about an ethnic group. He was concerned about a people called to him, always. And so the same verses, he's, he's, he's taking Isaiah 5 imagery and now saying, hey, guys, you are those vines now. But the difference is you're in Jesus, and now you're producing fruit. Um, you are the branches. Of a, if, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if we remain, another promise, if we remain in Jesus, the promise, guaranteed, you, you, you can't help but to bear fruit. But I love it because we think fruit is how many people come to Christ. But remember, it's been redefined or been defined. We saw it, Right? That connection to our Savior, obedience, God begins to do that stuff. That's what he's calling all of us to. And that's because we had to ask ourselves, is, 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 is that what I'm doing, Jesus? Verse 6, he says, if anyone does not remain in me, here we go, uh, Lori, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Uh, he says, such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So, so he gives another like graphic example, right? To 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 rehash that 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 harsh reality. And he says, it's like it's like if a if a branch is dead, he's like it's it's actually not even good for anything, but fire. Almost like all it can be is like firewood now. And so there's he's like I throw it away. This is his reality. So. When I, look at that, when I look at that text, hard, but very clear. It says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Store that in your heart because we're going to see that toward the end. Because I want, you know, we get these kind of passages and people think they can pray whatever and God gives it to them. Um, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Remember, what's the assumption? When you remain in Jesus, what are you doing? You're abiding. When you're abiding, what are you doing? You're experiencing obedience, righteousness, faith, right? That's, that's, what, that's what you're experiencing. 
So you have to understand the context there is then, so whatever you're asking, if you're Holy Spirit filled and you're abiding, will never be apart from God's will. It'll never be kind of a pink Cadillac. And don't get me wrong, you can pray that, but don't be talking about the Holy Spirit told you to. Now, I ask all kinds of crazy things from God. You know, I, ask, I do. I ask God to bless my investments, whatever. God can choose to do it or not. But I don't get all bent out of shape going, that was your will, Jesus. Where does he say he's going to bless my investments in the Bible? But I also hear him tell me to pray in all things. So I'm like, if I really believe he does all things, wait, well, why don't you hook a brother's investments up? I don't know. I'm just telling you, like, the balance of it all, you know. So, um, so he says, he says, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciple. Now, again, watch. Don't miss this. And I don't know if you can circle this stuff or I don't know how to do this. Watch how many times he makes this so plain. He makes the love of God being in Christ so practical. What does it look like to love God, to be all that for Christ? He says here, this is to my father's glory. This gives my father glory that you bear much fruit, that you're fruit bearers. And showing yourselves to be my disciples. Actually, so when you do this, when you bear much fruit, this is proof that you're my disciples. This is like, this isn't, this isn't how you become my disciples, but it's a good roadmap. It lets you know you're on the right path. It's an encouragement. And that's all, and as, as, as Jay says, that's biblical. It's all, it's, it's all throughout scripture that God gives us these, he says, that, you know, t- that, we, that there's these litmus tests that we have in our journeys to just let us know, okay, I do love God, praise the Lord. Because there's some things, I see a little fruit here, and that's cool. Now, I don't get my identity out of it, but it's cool to see some markers. I mean, if you know me, I don't know, I, I'm very bad in directions, and I need, and I need to have clear directions. And it's, it's good sometimes just to know you're going in the right direction. Um, he says, as a father has loved me, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Now, I love this. So he, he does. He's, and I, you know, we, we, the Father's love is something I really want to be able to discuss in, a, um, in one of our books, maybe in the fall. Uh, understanding that the love of God is that we talk, again, John is a book that's really trying to just really shake our heads and say, like, Jesus is God and he's worthy of your life and more. And you need to give all yourself to him. But here's what that looks like. That looks like irrevocable surrender to Jesus. That no matter what happens, no matter if someone puts a gun in your head, no matter if all things are taken from you, you pursue God. No matter what it takes because he's worthy of your life. And so the whole Bible, so all of John, he's continually pressing that. So he talks about love and he brings it back to obedience. And we're going to go there. But I want us to understand when he talks about love here, only thing I can liken it to, in a very minute sense, is the love I have for my kids. It's think when he says that he loves us, that he sees his kids and he grabs you to be his kids. He says, you're my son and my daughter. And now it breaks his heart when his kids go astray or not being who they're called to be. And this is hard because I remember, I still don't think I got this, but I know a little more now having some kids. I'm going, oh my goodness, the father loves, has that, he loves me, he'll, he'll die for me, he died for me. I want to make sure our body understands the love of God in your life. 
that God loves us. He cares for you and me. Unlike any other creator or uncreated thing. And we are trying to figure out how do we as a people of God help us live a life that's founded and grafted in the Father's love. Because when we don't choose Jesus, there's something weird that we're saying. Either we don't believe that the Lord loves us. Maybe that's it. Do we actually believe that someone can love us more than Jesus and that their love is is, is sustenance? Or the thing that we put our trust in? Do you see? This is me talking about myself. The stupidity in that? To put our faith and our trust and our devotion in anything else when you have the creator of the universe saying, I love you and I'm making you my son and daughter makes absolutely no sense. It makes no sense. May we as a family learn how to believe what the Father has said, count on it, and live a life in light of it. Irrevocably. No matter what the cost. That's the love he's given us, that he's modeled when he died for you and me. It's sad. We leave here and then we dog each other, and we're dogging our husbands and our wives, and we're backbiting and doing all kinds of things that just helps us say that, man, there's something we're missing. I want us to enjoy Jesus. And we're never really going to enjoy Jesus until we are convinced that God is good and that he loves us. There's some, think about it. If you're settling right now, you have a warped view of the Father's love. He says, as the Father loved me, Jesus, so I love you. I have loved you. Now remain in my love. But look at this. How, look how practical he is. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now people don't like to hear that. See, so that's a reality, but look what he says here. Look, look at the litmus test. He says, the model I'm going to give you is not something I'm giving you here. I'm going to give you the same model that was given to me. I'm showing you by my example. The way I knew, and the way the Father's love, look what he says here. You remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Uh, the sense is like, he obeyed the Father's command, and that's how he remained in the Father's love. Is right? We like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm saying. So it's it's extremely practical. Jesus is saying he loves us, but guess what? To remain in his love isn't just to be goo-goo out with Jesus, it's to obey him. It's real simple, family, to obey God. What would happen? If 15% of the churches in our community actually obeyed Jesus, what would happen if we in this body, all of us said, okay, all right, Lord, it's not about legalism, it's not about rigidity, but what you say, I'm going to do, period. I'm not going to, some of y'all are too smart for your own good. I've, I've seen some of y'all, man, talk your way out of all kind of like 2,000-year firm doctrines. And I'm like, how'd you get out of that one? Unbelievable. 
not talking your way out of stuff so you can go and sin, but saying, God said it, I'm going to do it. What would happen? He says, um, very practical there. He says, just as I have obeyed my father's command and remained in his love, he says, verse 11, I have told you this so that, you, uh, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Right? So my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Look at that joy, and we're going to close up soon. Don't miss this. The goal of this, verse 11, according to verse 11, the goal of this discussion of love, when he transitions from divine peace to the love peace, did you notice the transition, family? Okay? When he did that, the goal was what? So we can understand joy. You see that? The goal here is joy. Now, what is, where does joy come from? Because, see, we get joy mixed up. Where does joy come from according to this text here? It seems that joy comes when you and I are living a completely obedient life to Jesus. Okay, now, let's this, this, understand this. I just want to make sure we, we can stop putting Jesus on blast like he did something wrong. Right, family? Jesus is really clear. You want joy, be obedient. Is that fair? Okay, so... What's interesting to me, what convicted me in my own heart, it was like, wow. So, man, I find myself and find many of us as we walk with the Lord, we live in the worst of both worlds. Because if you, if you do one in, one foot in, one foot out, or you kind of like, we, we kind of vacillate, what we're basically doing, we receive, so, we, so like we're in the kingdom, right? So now you get all the ridicule and the persecution and the suffering, right? You're moved here, right? And now it's crazy and you're mad. Right. And so you get that. You get the drama of trying to be God centered. But then when we bounce out of the world. Right. You get you get the pain of God pruning you. So it's like so you need. So you see what I'm saying? You get, you get the best. You get the worst of both worlds. So you get either guys going to keep ripping you up and pruning us because we're trying to be, we fall into the world. And then we're over here and we get persecuted. So I'm just saying it's practically it just makes sense to me. Just to be sold out for Jesus. And just say, look, I won't get beat up by God. I'll just get beat up by the world. And we'll, we'll just be fervent for Jesus. I'm just saying from a business perspective, just operation call. It just makes, you know, I'm just saying opportunity cause versus benefit. It just seems like the benefit totally weighs the opportunity cause to just give yourself to one. That's all I'm saying. Just from a business perspective. I mean, just, just saying. So it ain't even spiritual. I'm just saying it just makes sense. Um... So, so here's the thing then, if that's the reality, never, from this day forward, family, can we never blame Jesus for a joyless life? Don't be blaming Jesus because you can't smile and enjoy that God is king and he's done it all for you and that God wants you to drink deeply from the Father's love. Don't blame him when he's told you clearly how that happens. He's told us, family. It's by remaining. It's by obedience, family. And then he gets it really clear here. He says, um, there's, no, there's no rule. I mean, there's no, there's no need for any other rule. Look at verse 12. My command is that this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love than this, no one, no, uh, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Verse 13. He's saying, look, if you love each other like I've loved you, I don't have to give all these commands. Think of something in your life that you wouldn't do in a God-centered fashion if you love like Jesus. See, he can't give commands. He says, love as I love. You get that? 
You don't need, it's all you need. I love he's, you know, he gives, he gives clearly in verse 13. He's talking about laying down his life specifically to cross. Praise God. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. Again, very practical. You want to be my homies? Well, I tell you. Well, I'm a homie, Jesus. He's like, oh, for real? My homies do what I say. Again, this whole be. Do you see how many times we have hit the reality of obedience in one passage? <laughs> Unbelievable. But there's joy. This is like, oh, my goodness, i got to be obedient. No, this is joy because this is why we were created. I no longer call you servants but friends, right, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father I have made it known to you. Uh, I love that he gives that servant versus friend. He's saying, look, no, my people, they're intelligently involved. There's a sense of like we're not just his workers. He has us intelligently involved in his plan of new creation. Remember, he's made us co-heirs. Remember, we're not just servant. We own some of this. We're owners, guys. He says, you did not choose me. I love how he ends it all. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Uh, fruit that will last. Then the Father will co- uh, give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Okay, look, check that out. You did not choose me, but I chose you, So, and I appointed you. So look, calm down. I chose you, and I appointed you. So not only did I choose you, but then I gave you the task to do. I've given you the task. Task is clear as day. Bear fruit. All right? Right, family? And he says to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Now look at this. Then, so if you do that, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. You hear that? That's the second time he said it. He adds a little something. He says, when you do this, if if you're about fruit bearing, then the Father will give what you ask in my name. Why? Because it's going to be about fruit bearing. You see that? So, so I just want us to understand when God does these, hey, ask anything, it's always about Jesus. It's always about the Lord. This is my command, love each other. Can we have the, the band come up? We're going to end in a song. Um, guys, we're going to take tithe right now. We're going to, um, as we're doing this, guys, I just want to, I have to say this because we have to get going. Here's something, guys. As we're getting, as we're hearing things ruffle, Don't miss what the Lord is saying in his holy word. He's saying that he created us to bear fruit. Notice what he does. He provides Israel as an example, and they fail. But then Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and guess what I'm going to do? Not only am I going to just be the true vine and complete it, but then he allows us. He could have stopped there. He could have been the vine and the grapes and everything else. But what he did, he then says, I'm going to give you an opportunity to retell their story. Do you see that? He gives us an opportunity to retell the story of Israel in triumph because of the cross. So he, I mean, how easy is that? He says, you can retell the story, but guess what? I've already made the vine. So you're retelling the story that he's already provided the end, the middle, and the ending. I mean, the beginning. He's allowing us to walk in light of what he's already done, who he's chosen and appointed us. He says, how do we do that? How do we experience the Father's love? How do we live in that family? How do we, how do we continue to understand how to abide? He says, obey me. 
How do we obey? That's why we want to understand what God is saying and we want to respond and worship to it by understanding the scriptures. Not by knowing, just being able to quote scriptures, but by understanding what God's story is and our place in it. And then he says, you will experience my love and the goal, you will experience my joy. The joy that I have in a father that we see also in, in, in John 17 in a few weeks. That's good news, family. If you don't know Jesus right now, if you have been kind of faking, hey, I was a faker for years, so who's no holier-than-thou stuff here, super faker. But one day, I had to come to grips with this reality that I was faking. And I said, Lord, I don't know what to do, but I really want to learn how to walk with you and be your son. God says, when I believed that Jesus is my king, he saved me and began to do that work inside me to allow that fruit to bear. No tricks. All Jesus is asking for is for your life, for our lives. Is he worthy of your life? And if you are a believer right now, be encouraged. Be encouraged that God is saying, I've given you access to the love of the Father, the fullness through Jesus Christ, that you have the opportunity to bear fruit. That's your task. He allows us to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's a joy. Guys, let's not walk around in life always getting pruned, okay? Let's, let's enjoy the love of the Father. Let's enjoy, let's learn to enjoy obedience and learn how to experience joy. We're going to have uh, tithers come down. If you're new here, please keep your wallets uh